Hello everybody, happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Aces Up the Sleeve. I'm Patty, co-hosting with the co-managing partner of Pocket Aces Racing, or PAR for a quick reference, Jared Shoemaker. And today we are joined by Dermot Littlefield for another very interesting interview episode that I think you all are going to very much enjoy. So before we get started, how are we both doing today? I am fantastic, Patty. Dermot, <laughs> how are you holding, in, holding up today? I'm doing well. I can't complain. There's no point. No one's listening to me anyway. So. That is not true. I listen all the time. But for, for those for those of you guys listening that don't know, you know Dermot Littlefield, um, previously of Margo Farm, now of his own uh, place, Fernhill Stables. Uh, we've worked with Dermot for years uh, in a variety of different roles and capacities. And we'll talk a little bit about that and more as we go on. But uh, so... Uh, for those of you that don't recognize the name, again, Dermot has been working with us for some time, first at Margo Farm, and now with his very own Fernhill Stables. So thank you very much for joining us. No, thank you very much for having me. Uh, just as a recap, in this podcast, we do shed light on all things Pocket Aces. We're going to talk about the finer points of syndicate ownership. We're going to discuss what the listeners, the partners have asked us to talk about. And hopefully by the end, you're enlightened, inspired, you're entertained on the topics and for our partners especially, we hope that you feel that you continue to get really good value for your tenure as a member of Team Pocket Aces Racing. So before we jump in, we do have some availability updates. Um, we have, of course, if you've been listening in to our, to our recent episodes, we've talked about them a little bit and we'll talk about them some more. We have started from the bottom and then we have our uh, 21. It's chemistry, baby. They've both been really well received. People love what they see. And Jared, do you just want to give just a little update on both of these guys for, for our listeners? Yep, doing great. Uh, started from the bottom. Uh, again, you know, he's with Susan. And, you know, primarily we're, we're trying to get them to write a, a starter 10 at Ellis because uh, there's not one in the current book. Uh, that's what we'd like to do with him. Um, so hopefully sometime here before the end of the month. And then we'll see how that goes and then go go from there and it's chemistry baby the collective philly uh just you know spent the week jogging um you know trying to acclimate her where she has been exclusively running on a up, uphill gallop on turf uh basically all of her training has been on turf uh, i want to get her acclimated to the dirt before we do anything uh you know anything too serious but she she jogged all last week she's going to start galloping this week and then, uh, you know, she had a lot of breezes under her belt already. So once she gets up and going, probably not going to take her too long to be ready for the racetrack. Uh, so that's kind of where we are with, with those two. Well, and we, I know of recently we were talking about it just as a quick thing. We do have some two-year-olds will be coming back to the track soon. And we'll, we'll kind of get more into that in, in another episode if you guys want to hear about that. Um, but we'll go ahead. We'll jump into into this week's edition. And as Jared kind of mentioned earlier, we're going to sit down with Dermot, who has now formerly of Margo Farm, has now struck out on his own. And we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about you know how things are different, how things are going now for him, and and you know just get some some information and some background on him. And Dermot, you know, for our listeners and maybe some of our newer partners who don't quite know who you are, who don't have that name recognition, do you want to start with just a an introduction and a background on what brought you to the U.S. and maybe a little bit about how you got into racing and we can go from there yeah no that sounds good um so yeah i'm dermis you know i moved over here to kentucky um in 2013 i was uh you know i grew up kind of based around a, a sport horse kind of background you know show jumpers fox hunters all that kind of stuff and uh you know as i kind of went through my teens and into my early 20s i got you know 
I was always a, an avid racing watcher and follower and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, as I got a little bit older, I got more involved in the racing side of it. Uh, I went to college in, in NUI Minute. I studied equine business there. Then I went on to uh, to do the Irish National Stud Course. And it was when I was on the Irish National Stud Course that a, a job was posted by a former graduate and the former uh, farm manager at Margo Farm, Michael Hardy. He posted a job looking for someone to come over. And, you know, I initially I got a visa for a year. Then I got a visa for 18 months. And, you know, I've been here ever since. So just a, a simple job posting uh, at, at, uh, at university job board. That is fantastic. Yeah, no, it was pretty basic, you know, like it was, you know, Ireland, Ireland's a country that fits into, you know, the size of Kentucky. So you can imagine the opportunities are, they're there, but you know, when you've got such a, a big pool of people that are interested in, you know, the thoroughbreds and stuff like that, you know, it's the same opportunities aren't, aren't there as they are here. So when I got the opportunity, I jumped at it and, uh, you know, as I say, I got here in 2013 and I've been here ever since. Now, did you know, Michael, before you before you made that move or before you reached out to him about the job or you just knew of him or? Uh, no, I, I didn't know him at all, to be honest. You know, when I came here, I only knew, you know, one person and their family. And, uh, you know, I was given a, a couple of people to to reach out to and stuff when I got here. But, you know, when I when I came here initially, it was all per se a fresh start and you know it was a, a big shock and a big change for me you know when I first moved over so yeah well I'm, you know aside from all the you know the cultural differences and things of that nature just uh, what what about just the differences in you know what you were doing with horses in Ireland and then Irish racing versus you know what you started doing when you came here to Margo and and you know I, you know I think we're we all fans of racing realize that Irish racing is fantastic, but it's obviously it is different than than what we see uh, here in the states. Talk to us a little bit about some of those differences and how things, uh, you know, how to how to bring a two year old along or bringing a baby along differ in Ireland than it does uh, uh, here. Well, you know, at home, you know, I think that the reason why I got on so well when I first came over was is because. You know, at home, we don't have like the racetrack, the the horses don't ship to the track, they're not stable there, they don't do their morning workouts there, you know, it's all, a lot of it is based on, on the farm, on people's own personal training centers, or, you know, when you look at the, the biggest training center in the country, which is the Cura, you know, everybody has got their own separate yards or stables, and they come in and they use the common gallops, and, you know, then they, they head off back, so it is very different that way. You know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, there's no published workouts, you know, when the two-year-old run first time, you know, a lot of it's just hype that people are talking about or a pedigree or a sales price or something like that, that people are going off of, you know, there's not that, you know, official build up with workouts and stuff like that, like that there is here. So, you know, that was, a, that was a big difference for me coming over and learning that, you know, 36 flat, 48 and two, you know, all this kind of stuff. It was all, it was all stuff that you knew about and you roughly knew speeds and times and stuff that horses went, but you know, it wasn't as in depth at home as it is over here, you know, maybe a little things were a little more by, by feel uh, as opposed to, I, I don't know, it's like a, a little more of an art approach to it. Maybe. 
Yeah, and it's and it's a little bit different too, you know. Like you know, people used to use take horses away to the racetracks, and they'd do a gallop with them or something like that. You know, certain racetracks would have certain mornings where they'd let people come in and you know use the facilities, and you know sometimes that'd be when you when you got a feel for a two year old or something like that. The first time was when you took them away for a race course gallop or you know some exercise. So it's uh you know it's definitely a different different approach. I think there's a a lot more differences when it comes to you know the younger horses and getting them up and getting them going than compared to to say over here you know and and that's uh that's the one thing when I first came over here I, I got on pretty good because you know Margot is more of a kind of European style way of doing the training and the braking and getting horses going I, I cannot imagine trying to handicap I, I I struggle handicapping two-year-old races in general with with all the data and the works and and everything else that you got that we have in front of us I cannot imagine how you go and try to handicap a race of two-year-olds when you can't even see workouts that just blows me away yeah no it's it's completely different as well and even like small things you know you'll see a lot of the you know they call them breeze up sales at home but they're their two-year-old sales over here you know you'll see a lot of these horses that you know there's such a, a deep foundation into them that some of them are running between two four or five weeks out of the sale that's even more you know head scratching sometimes for people because you know they're they're getting you know a horse is, is going into a yard it's fit it's it's taking all the boxes that they enter and it entered in a race and it runs and it was only bought a few weeks before you know that's interesting maybe we, we need to look into that <laughs> how do we do that here <laughs> So you were with uh, Margo for, I guess, right at 10 years, maybe a little bit less than 10 years. And you've recently gone out on your own with Burnhill Farm. So talk to us a little bit about the, the decision. Was that something that you'd always hoped to do or it just felt like, you know, what the time's right now? Uh, and you know, So just a, a little bit about what, what led you into that. And then what are you hoping to do? You know, obviously Margo, as you mentioned, you know, it's it's a very much a European style training facility. They they have a little bit of everything there. Um, uh, so you know, you're obviously going into a very different situation and setup now. And and what are you looking to do? And and what's Fernhill Farm going to be all about? I guess is what I'm trying to ask you. Yeah. So uh, obviously, when you're when you're going out on your own and you're setting up, it is scary. You know, I'll be I'll be straight up honest and say that. You know, when you're when you go away from the the weekly paycheck, and you know you're the one that's writing the weekly paycheck, it uh, you know it really changes your perception on it. But you know, I've always wanted to work for myself. I've you know I've always had faith in my ability. You know, one day could work for myself. And Margot was going through a bit of a transition period where they were switching out their racetrack and stuff like that. And I'm in my early thirties, and you know, just just a lot of things kind of line aligned in my head. You know, my buddy. He bought the he bought the farm that we're based on now just just at the start of the year and you know it had a it had a horse facility and already set up on the farm so just kind of things just aligned and I just felt like now was the the time to you know take that take the plunge and you know try it for myself and I I'd built up some good contacts over the years I great relationships you know especially with you guys and stuff like that you know and I and I did have the confidence that if I was to you know to do my own thing that you know I'd be supported. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I think we, we had, uh, we had some horses there as soon, almost as soon as you opened up the doors, I think. So, uh, you know, it's, a uh, you know, as you mentioned, a great, great relationship and working relationship with you got with you and, uh, and, um, we'll talk a little bit about the, a little bit more about the horses that are there now with you. 
get a little update on some of them maybe, but um, we, we had lunch, you and Mark and I had lunch and your dad had lunch uh, a few weeks ago and we talked about doing some different pin hooking uh, ventures. And we've, got, we've always got partners asking us about pin hooking. So I just kind of, kind of what, uh, if you could kind of walk through and let people hear kind of what you're thinking and what we've talked about and, and how uh, some of those uh, ventures might look. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the one thing, the one thing about setting up your own facility is, you know, I've been able to create an environment that I feel like horses can flourish in. Um, you know, we're, we're a smaller operation. We have 23 stalls over here. So we're, we're very hands-on. We, you know, we look at the horses every day and, the small little things that we use to our advantage, such as weighing them, you know, looking at them walk every week, you know, going through their body scoring them and rating them and stuff like that. You know, I think it's it's a good environment to to, you know, for young horses to, to develop in, whether it's, you know, a, a yearling or a foal to a yearling, a yearling to a two year old or even, you know, the the rehab side of the game. So when when we had sat down that time, you know, we'd uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, maybe looking at um the the sales here in november in keeneland and phasing tipton and then you know potentially again into the new year the january february sale in keeneland and phasing tipton and looking for a prospective folds that you know we could offer for resale as yearlings and stuff like that and you know i think um it's exciting it's it's something fun it's something different to do you know i think uh so many people just look at the at the you know when the horses run in the afternoon and you know there's there's lots of other facets to this industry that are that are very interesting and get people involved in different ways and let them let them follow along the development of horses and stuff like that we sat down and talked that time you know i just was brainstorming some ideas and you know it sounded like that you know your partners might be might be interested in something like that yeah i think we definitely have uh some folks that would be interested in in uh more of a an approach at, at least an attempt to actually make money you know we, we we tell all of our people that if you get into racing this is not about making money it's not an investment this is a gamble 100 a gamble we hope we can make you money uh but anytime you get into like you know the, the pin hooking and, and resale and all that you know, that's definitely something that's geared more towards you know trying to make a return on our investment and um, I think we've definitely got some people that that would be interested in that. Um, you know, now there are, you know, it's there, there are some people that do this and they kind of specialize in in buying these babies and return around and selling them as as yearlings. And what are the sorts of things that you're generally looking for when um, and, and you've done this before. Mark has done this before. You know, we've done it a little bit here and there. But uh, when you when you have this kind of idea, this kind of mindset, Going to buy a baby, turn around and sell them next fall at the yearling sales. What what are what are the sort of things that you're looking for in those horses in terms of pedigree, physical? Uh, what how, how do you how do you best make that work in your mind? Well, I think I think you know the the one thing we've always tried to do is whether it's you know me and my buddies or one of my buddies you know that I've worked with in the past. You know, you're always looking for that diamond in the rough. Everybody, everybody can pick out the straightforward horse, you know, the one that walks good, walks big, you know, with the big pedigree and stuff like that. But I suppose the the angle we've always gone with is, you know, you're trying to you're trying to buy something that you can see and prove, you know, that maybe has a has a big walk, maybe lacks a pedigree, or maybe is a, a later fold that looks like it's gonna develop, or maybe, you know, in, in my position where, you know, I was working with a lot of different horses for a while maybe you had a half brother or a half sister or something like that that you knew had some talent and you know you went out there and you, you looked for one by it but I suppose the, the big thing that you know I, I was always told was you have to love them 
You know, there's no point of buying a horse for the sake of buying a horse. Anybody can do that. The big thing is when you buy a horse, you have to stand back and you have to, you don't want buyer's remorse the next day. You, you fall in love with it and you're in love with it till the day you sell it. And I think that that's the big thing is, you know, you can't, you can't just dive into it and say, we have X amount to spend and we must spend that X amount and we must buy X amount of horses. I, I think that's the wrong approach completely. And, you know, sometimes you have to be prepared to walk away from a sale and maybe not got your quota or got, you know, what you thought as many as you'd get or as much as you wanted to spend. But I think that's the big thing is, you know, you, you have to fall in love with the horse. And if you don't, I think there, you may as well keep your money in your pockets, you know. Yeah, I think uh, anybody that has been with us for a while or followed us and gotten our emails uh, can can probably relate to what you're saying because, and and Pat, you've probably seen more of our of our emails than uh, than Dermot has. But how many times have <laughs> I, how many times have I sent out uh, an announcement about a horse and it's like, well, Mark had to have it, uh, you know, uh, Mark. Mark saw this one and fell in love, and we, he knew he was going to buy it. I'm pretty sure. Than- <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was Oathbreaker. You had me announce on all of our socials, okay, we're done shopping for Keeneland. And then like 10 minutes later, I have to come back and be like, all right, so we lied. We got another yeah, one. Yeah. I, it, it happens with Mark, you know, I mean, that, and that's, that's, I think that's just a, a very, very uh, wise piece of advice. Fall in love with it. You have to fall in love with it because if you, if, if something's nagging at you and, and you're thinking afterwards, man, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Mm-hmm. Then you've probably made a mistake. Um, it, it's when you see it and you know, you, you know, you see it the next day or a week later and you're like, yep, that's exactly what I, that's exactly why I bought it, you know, still to this day. And, and they, granted, they change and they go through some awkward phases where maybe they don't look quite as good, you know, immediately at the time, but, but you can still see that potential there when you're, when you're looking yeah. at it. So. Well, and for some of our, like, not so horse racing and climb people, it's kind of like what they always tell you about tattoos. If you're going back and forth about a tattoo, don't get it. You don't want it. Like that's yeah. that's how it is. It's kind of the same thing here. You gotta love it. You can, you can cover them up. It's no big deal. Yeah, you can, but it's it's still a commitment, and you know, <laughs> you you want to be happy with what you get. Right. So, so um, a lot of changes going on in the industry right now, Dermot. Um, you think about when you came in to the country, you know, ten years ago. You know, obviously, other than the you know the the, the obvious answer of HISA, you know, what, what kinds of things have you noticed that have, or have seemed to make uh, big changes over, over the last 10 years, or have you, have you noticed anything other than really than, than all the new HISA issues? Yeah, well, you know, I think the, the big thing for me is the involvement of owners in horses. I think for a long time, people, people bought a horse, you know, at the sales and, you know, they saw it at the sales and, they sent it, you know, to a farm or a training center and it got broken and, you know, they showed up on race day and, uh, you know, watched it run. And then, you know, they went home after, or, you know, maybe they watched it on TV and stuff like that. I've seen, a, you know, a, and it's a positive thing for me, a lot more owners get involved, a lot more owners care about, you know, the standard of care their horse is getting. And, you know, the them caring about, you know, their horse is getting a little bit more of a, an individualistic treatment than just being in a, you know, a broad a broad spectrum program, you know, and uh, that that's been huge for me. And that's been one of the big reasons why I've, you know, wanted to go out my own and wanted to push forward on my own, because I there's a lot of people that have the same ideas about me and horse care and taking care of horses the right way and giving them the time to develop and grow up and, you know, create an atmosphere for them where they can thrive, you know, both physically and mentally and all that kind of stuff. And 
that's been the big driver for me. Um, you know, this push to go out by myself and just, you know, there's, I love when, you know, when you have an idea or something like that and, you know, you can sit down and, you know, you can throw ideas off the wall with the owner and come up with the best possible plan for the horse. And, you know, I, I even have seen more and more where, you know, the, the owner, the owner, the trainer, they come up with a plan. You, we all sit down, we all figure it out and everybody's doing what's best for the horse. You know, they're, it's not just a trainer trying to fill a stall. It's not just a, an owner to have another horse running in their silks. And it's not just a horse farm that has another stall filled. It's, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot more thought and a lot more planning going into the way everything's done now. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I, 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 my experience in the industry primarily is pocket aces racing. So, and that, that you know, for us, that's kind of how we've always tried to do things. So it's, I don't, I don't have a lot of that outside perspective of how other owners are trying to run their horses and manage their horses and all that. So that, uh, that's, that's, that's interesting to hear. That, that's pretty cool. So horses that you've currently got of ours, the one uh, that is probably bless his heart. The, the, the toughest one right now is Cyclone Ranger. How's he doing? Yeah, no, he's he's doing good. You know, he he obviously he, he had that surgery and, you know, you always anytime a horse has a surgery, whether it's, you know, getting a chip out or anything like that, you know, you always have to be so careful with them afterwards. But, you know, he's 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 gone through the the initials, you know, post-surgery. He's he's handling that all well. Um, you know, we've we've st- slowly started to introduce some feed and stuff like that again. The horse has got a great appetite. His attitude is good. He's he's starting to get a bit of a shine back to him too. And you know, we uh we take him out there every day and we hand walk him and we hand graze him and you know just kind of love on him a little bit and pay him a bit of, bit more attention. And you know, he loves it. He thrives off it. And you know, we we couldn't be happier where he's at right now. And then uh, you've also got microphone. Yeah, microphone. Um, he's uh he just had a little bit of a short break there, so uh you know again that's a that's a classic example of what I just just talked about a couple of minutes ago. Um, Mark talked with Ethan the trainer. Um, Mark and Ethan decided on a plan. They got the horse checked out, uh, made sure everything was good, everything was good with them. Then Mark and Ethan got with me, sent them over to the farm. We made a plan to give them a little bit of a uh, little bit of downtime for a couple of weeks and. Uh, now he's going to, towards the end of this week, we're going to start putting him on the Aquatread every other day and just every other day to start to, to build him back up and, you know, not do too much with him, but, you know, just do enough to, to keep him fit and everything while he's, uh, he's getting some downtime. All right. And uh, I guess that's, is that it at the moment? Do you have anybody else? Accusatory. Accus- oh, that's right. Accusatory. That's right. I forgot he, he we moved him over. How, he's, how's he, uh, how's he looking? Yeah, he's good. You know, he's he's a big two year old. Uh, he looks like one that he'll appreciate the little bit extra time off just to to physically mature and develop and stuff like that. So, again, he's he's got roughly about another forty forty or so days off, and then you know he'll uh, he'll go back under tack and you know hopefully kick on and do big things for you guys. So now let's go back to Cyclone Ranger a little bit because you you got him as soon as we brought him home from the sale. He came out to Margo, and you've been working with him from day one since at least since we had him. Just kind of your thoughts on what you know, before he got hurt, you know how he had developed, and talk about you know again that 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 you know he's a great big uh, he was obviously a colt then, but now a gelding. 
and one that uh, I don't think any of us ever expected would be running really, really early, yet he debuted on January 1 of his three-year-old year. But just talk to a little bit about, you know, his development, how we brought him along. You know, he was kind of unusual in that we just, you know, he never did really get a break as a two-year-old like we do a lot of times. We just kept him going and kept him going. And just, uh, just how, what have you thought about his development? I, I, I mean, I know I know Brendan was pretty surprised about his performance at, at Indiana when he won that race. Uh, just kind of what are your what are your thoughts on him from the time you got him to till until he got hurt? When he come from the sale or whatever, he, he was a he was a taller horse, and I I do believe off the top of my head he's a Maypole as well. Yes, um, <laughs> yes. So he uh, he was one of those that you know he was always going to benefit from you know being being brought along steady. And, uh, you know, I can I can remember talking to Mark about him, you know, early on in the stages, you know, he did everything, you know, he did everything you wanted to him, but it just seemed like he wasn't, you know, processing it. He'd just do it and, you know, he'd be fine with it and he'd go on with it. And it, it was just a horse that, you know, it took it took the, the penny. It took a little while for the penny to drop with him, you know, kind of what uh, what his, his job was and everything. And he, he was just one of those horses that, you know, we brought him along steady. You know, he didn't have an injury or an issue or anything like that, but we developed his mind before we developed him physically. So we, that's why we didn't give him a break at the time, because, you know, we, we'd taken him along and he was never under any pressure. And he just seemed like a horse. The more you did with him, the more he thrived off it. And I can remember even the first time we breezed him, you know, he was green. He was he was looking all around the place. He was but like every time you brought him back, he did a little better. He did a little better. He did a little better. You know, that was the the big incentive to keep going with him, you know, because he was brought along steady and he looked like he improved every time you challenged him with something new. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously he is he's a big, tall horse. You know, he's he's grown into it, you know, into a a gentle giant nearly, you know, he's a, he's a fun horse to be around and everything, but you know, he's, he's, he's by a stallion that tends to get horses that, you know, run better the older they get. So he's kind of proven, he's proven to you guys that, you know, you were patient with, with him initially and, you know, hopefully he's going to reward you for that. Yeah. Hopefully we can keep fingers crossed. He'll come back from this, that, uh, that the uh, surgery side will heal up and, um, you know, the vets think he'll, he, he ought to be as good as new. So, uh, fingers crossed we can we can keep with that so you're king for a day in, in, in thoroughbred racing what is the one thing maybe two the one major change that you would make to north american racing yeah there's 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 definitely a lot of things that you'd want to improve you know and everything like that <laughs> that could be two or three podcasts but you know i suppose the the, the big thing for me about you know the the industry as a whole and stuff like that is you know i think there's a i think there you know you've seen where the godolphin awards and everything like that have been going on and there's, there's recognition for the staff and all that kind of stuff but you know for me the biggest thing is you know the recognition of the people that are doing the job day in day out you know there's it's very easy to point a finger when you know a horse runs bad or you know something goes wrong you know you blame a trainer you blame a jockey and you know you go on with it but you know if you think of all the man hours that have gone into that horse between the you know say the sales prep as a yearling or a foal or a yearling and then the breaking process and everything that goes into that you know i think i think i the the one thing i'd i'd say is that, that the staff in this industry that that put so much effort in you know they need more recognition and they need you know probably better and fairer conditions on you know pay and stuff like that and that's that's one thing i'd love to see change is you know is just the the people behind the scenes 
being taken you know care what? of better. That is that is so perfect. And I'm as you were saying that, I'm thinking sitting here thinking to myself, how can we do a better job of that? I love what you're saying, and I want to try to make something happen on our end. So I don't know how exactly I'm going to do it yet, but at the very least, I'm going to find out the individual groom for each one of our horses. And when when the horses are doing good things, uh, either on our social media, certainly in our emails to our our our, our partners, uh, we're gonna we're gonna know those grooms' names and who's taking care of each and every horse day in day out, and is in there four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, and whether it's hot cold raining snowing whatever and we're going to give them a little more of a shout out because i think you are exactly right and we have definitely been remiss uh, uh over the years and not recognizing those people because they work their asses off day in day out thank you that that was a good call out yeah no for sure and and the, the way i look at it is is we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do it you know without them so I've got a great, great group of people here that help me, you know, at all different levels, whether it's full-time, part-time, you know, advisory and stuff like that. And, you know, if, if I didn't have those people around me, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast, talking about my new business and stuff, you know. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's great. I, I just, I think that's a, a very good call out and, um, and I know we can certainly do better ourselves. So over the years, uh, since you've been here, the last 10 years, you have worked with some pretty amazing horses um talk to us about some of your favorites and what stood out about them yeah no there's i was i was very fortunate you know when when we when obviously margo it, it grew and grew and you know there was a we went from you know everything you had all different types the owner breeder the you know the pin hooker that didn't sell one the you know the racing syndicates the individual owners you know i've been fortunate to you know be around them all and you know, horses come at you at different angles, different plans, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, one one that we had for uh, for you guys, for sure, you know, Temple City Terror. Um, I do remember having to do a very embarrassing interview with Mark Wampler um, early on. <laughs> and being, I think it was about, I think it was about 25, 30 degrees outside. And I came into the office at about 60 degrees or 65 <laughs> degrees. And I can remember the heat hitting me and Mark sticking a camera in my face and saying, now tell me about our yearling. It, I, I think it's cool when you can, you know, when you can be around a horse in their early stages, be around them when they get a break, be around them, you know, when they're coming back from something, you know, I think, I think that's cool. And, you know, she was a filly that fortunately enough, we got to, got to spend you know a lot of time with it at all different stages whether seeing her at the racetrack or having her at the farm so she was one um another horse that the that um the margo farm owners had his name was totally bought he he was a horse that you know we uh we had on the farm a lot uh the trainer rusty arnold used to send him back between his runs let him let down turn out get some graze in time stuff like that and uh he was a horse that i think on think definitely two but possibly three separate occasions he won less than 10 days off the farm after being trained there so that was that was pretty special and when you're around horses all the time and it's go 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 you know sometimes you it's the little things like that when a horse can can go over there to Keeneland and win five six days off the farm it's a huge lift for you know the staff on the farm makes you believe that your training program and what you're doing is right and to stick at it and keep going you know and he's a horse that'll be cemented in my mind and you know another another good one of the hills was a uh was um daddy is a legend scat mm-hmm. daddy philly and uh another another philly that just very fortunate to to have spent some time with and around and everything and you know then there's been 
you know, Colts that came through the door that, you know, they were Colts when, when you had them and you were getting them up and getting them ready for races or bringing them back off a break. And it's fun to see, you know, some of them go on to be stallions and, you know, seeing, getting some of their, their offspring and stuff like that to train. So, you know, there's, there's too many to list, but they're, you know, they're just a couple that come to mind straight off the bat, you know. But certainly, uh, you know, Temple City Terra, obviously, we, we, it seems like somehow we end up talking about her every week. So people are probably sick and tired of hearing about it, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> you um, better be careful because Dave uh, Brown will hear this. <laughs> I, I didn't say everybody was. I said some people probably were. And that's okay. But, you know, uh, so hopefully we're going to, though, we're going to add add some great stakes winners here, not in the too distant future, and we can talk about some more of them. So Absolutely. Um, well, Dermot, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and taking some time out of, uh, out of your Sunday. Uh, I you know, believe me, um, we know how busy you are with uh, getting things up and running there at Fernhill, and uh, the fact that you were able to take take about uh, I don't know half hour, forty five minutes, well, almost an hour now, I guess, um, with us. Uh, we sincerely appreciate uh, spending that time with us and sharing with us. Yeah, no problem at all. And uh, you know, thanks, thanks for reaching out. And you know, I, I, you know, I look forward to, as I said to Mark the other day, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed working with you guys. It's, you know, it's a, it's a great relationship. It's nearly one of those things. Someone suggests something and, you know, the other one's nearly already thinking about it, you know, so, you know, when you can, when you can build relationships and bonds and stuff like that with people, you know, that that's, that's why I want to do this. And that's why I want to, you know, keep going. Fantastic. Well, if anybody, uh, anybody out there that's uh, not a partner or even partners, if you got your own horses and you need some place to give them a little break and they just need a little TLC, uh, reach out to us and we'll hook you up with Dermot because um, it's, it's tough to find better than uh, than Dermot and, and what they what they do. And, uh, you know, we've, we've sent uh, sent him a lot of horses over the years that have needed that little time off needed that little tlc needed just a little bit of break to get their mojo back and uh, and he does it as, as well as anybody so thank you for all of that over the years and thank you again for your time and patty you can, uh, you can take us out yeah absolutely so thanks everybody for tuning in this week and we hope you've enjoyed it this was a very interesting interview um, our listener count is slowly rising and we appreciate everyone's support. You guys have been listening. We, you've been busy and we see it. We, you know, we appreciate every single listen that we get over there. So make sure that you're subscribed to our Spotify, leave us some commentary. There is an option to do that down there. And then also make sure that you're following us on Apple podcasts. I know we recently had a couple, um, we had a couple like the, uh, open source, groups add our podcast to their pages as well and if you are interested in, in learning about those you can go over to, to our castos.com page and you can see all of those that are listed on the open sources make sure that you are also following our youtube channel it's under the same name it's under pocket aces racing we're going to start unveiling our new features we're going to have some recording projects set up we're scheduled we're ready to go in the coming weeks so make sure that you are following along and that you've got the bell selected so you get notifications when those videos go live. And as always, everybody, have a happy Wednesday, make good choices, and the podcast is out. <laughs> <laughs>